0: powerful to me to think about these as people and not just as names on a a wall or on a gravestone, but their stories are powerful and I think that we can learn a lot from them.
1: listening to the stories behind the stars podcast my name is tatiana fallon and i'm your host this podcast is run by the organization stories behind the stars this has nothing to do with hollywood we are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in world war ii for those of you who are not familiar during world war ii when a service member was killed the family received a banner with a gold star on it We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they are finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. In tonight's episode, I speak with researcher uh, Kirsten Howard. She had the opportunity to visit Pearl Harbor after working on our Pearl Harbor project. She tells some amazing stories, and it's going to be some great content. Thank you to all of our volunteers who helped us finish Pearl Harbor the project is done. We are in the beginning of our Arlington project. If you could volunteer, we'd really appreciate it. And one last thing I need to ask of you, if you have already subscribed to this podcast, do us a favor and write us a review. It will really help us. Welcome everyone. Today we have Kirsten Howard. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found the project?
0: My name is Kirsten Howard. I live in Utah and I have an interest in genealogy. I'm currently working on getting my accreditation as a professional genealogist. So I listen to genealogy podcasts. And so I heard about this project twice before I actually got involved. I think Ancestry said something out on on one of their sites. And I thought, wow, that sounds like an amazing project. And I looked into it a little bit, but life got busy. And then several months later, I was listening to a podcast called Extreme Genes with Scott Fisher, where Don Milne was being interviewed about this project. And so the second time I, uh, it clicked and I had some time and I got uh, involved and it's been fantastic. I think it's a great project. And so I got involved in about the first part of November, 2021, and did a few projects on my own to start with with uh, some army veterans, and then I got involved with the Pearl Harbor project.
1: So, do you have a degree in like research, or or is this just something that you like? What what brought you to to your love of genealogy? That's my question.
0: So my degree is in political science, but uh, I've been a homemaker for the past 20 plus years, and my children are kind of aging out of home and going to college, and I've got two left at home and two in college. So genealogy and family history research has been more of a hobby for many years, and so now that my kids are aging out and I have a little more free time, I'm getting more involved in it, and I'm interested in doing it uh, research professionally and being, uh, uh, honing my skills in that. So I'm working toward an accreditation in that so that I can be a professional genealogist.
1: I really love that about genealogy is it lends itself to squeezing in those hours when you still have kids at home and are kind of crazy. So you can kind of do it, you know, when you have like an hour here, an hour there, you know, and it's not like all consuming, but then you can get jump in, jump into it and get lost as well. <laughs> like,
0: Absolutely. I think so we all have that experience. I,
1: my husband is always like, what are you doing? And I'll be like, oh, I'm just doing some genealogy on the family. He's like, well, can you come down? It's time for us. You know, like I always get lost in what I'm, the little projects I'm working on and trying to figure out. It's like a, a big puzzle of mystery and you try to figure it out. So that's really awesome.
0: Absolutely. I think we call it going down the rabbit hole in this, <laughs> in this field, but it's common. Yeah. It's exciting. Like you say, it's, it's a uh, one piece of information leads to another and it opens up a story and and can take you in a lot of different directions. So it is an exciting, an exciting hobby or field to work in.
1: So did you find transitioning from like family research to doing military research, like challenging? And if so, in what ways? Or was it pretty seamless?
0: So I had not done a lot of military research before. And so there were a few things that were different. Uh, particularly researching and finding military records. I had been on Fold 3 a little bit. My grandfather was, uh, my maternal grandfather was in the Navy during World War II. He was on the younger end of things, so he didn't get in until 1945. So the war was was nearly over by the time he served on an aircraft carrier in 1946. So I had looked up some of his records a little bit, but... um, the military part was a little tricky, but not too bad. Uh, having the boot camp training that your that John put out was really helpful in how to find and access military records, and then it was pretty straightforward. But a lot of the research for writing the stories is is the same as for researching your own family stories, finding census records, and using newspapers to pull out stories and sources like that. That I, I was. Quite familiar with, so I wouldn't say it was seamless. It was a little bit of a learning curve, but but certainly there was help along the way if I had questions.
1: I think that's one of the things that uh, pulls in a lot of people to doing genealogy work is is the fact that you can you can learn so many things about different things. You're always stretching and growing, and in the ask, you know what you aspects of what you're learning, and, and I think that's you know appealing to a lot of people who are interested in genealogy is just. Figuring out, okay, how do I do this research, and what does it look like, and then getting really good at that, and then moving on—you're like constantly having to move on to different ways of figuring out, you know,
0: uh, how far the rabbit holes diff- goes down in different areas. So it's true; it is exciting because you're always learning new things, or about new places, or about new kinds of research. Uh, since getting into this uh, Stories Behind the Stars project, I have to say I've been a lot more interested in World War II just as I've done research, uh, and I'm pulling out stories for these, uh, these soldiers and these sailors. Um, I've been really interested in learning more about the war in general and, and and battles and the overview, and how they fit into those. So I've, I've been doing um, different online courses and things like that. Uh, that are basically lectures about World War II. I'm I'm listening to one right now about World War II in the Pacific and learning a lot about that. And then I can see how some of these stories plug into that. So like you say, doing a little research in one area will lead you, at least me, to be curious about um, topics related to that.
1: My next question, do you have specific stories that you've
0: you've told about World War II Fallen you wanna share with us? Sure. I'd love to do that. Um, I was able to write seven stories for sailors that perished on the USS Arizona during the attack on Pearl Harbor. And I'll share a few of them with you if you'd like. um, Some that I found most interesting. So one of the sailors that I was assigned to research and write about, his name was James Joseph Murphy. And he was actually born in England in about 1920 in the Cumberland area. And his parents were Richard and Mary Murphy and he arrived into the world as a twin so he had a twin sister named Marie and she was his only sibling and his parents were both natives of that area Cleater Moore in Cumberland England and they married in about 1919 and James's father Richard was a miner and he started working the coal mines as a teenager and after Richard and Mary uh, James's parents got married his father left England and immigrated to the United States and ended up in Bisbee, Arizona, which has gotta be a very different environment than Northern England uh, to move to the desert, the Southwest desert of Arizona. But he moved there in about 1923 and he worked in the local copper mines there. And after establishing himself in the United States, he sent for his wife, Mary, and his children to join him in his new homeland A little uh, more than a year later. And so Mary Murphy brought her three-year-old twins across the Atlantic from England to New York and then journeyed on to join her husband Richard in Bisbee, Arizona. And then Richard and Mary naturalized as U.S. citizens in the 1930s, which gave their children United States citizenship also. So James Murphy grew up in this area of Arizona, and after he graduated, he worked as a Boilermaker Helper at a local mine where his father was also the mine watchman. And then he was drafted into the Navy in January of 1941. He began his military service at the U.S. Naval Training Station in San Diego, California. And he began at the rank of Seaman Apprentice. And then he was assigned to the USS Enterprise and served on that ship until the 27th of April, 1941, and then he was transferred to the USS Arizona in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And while he was there, he, on that ship, he advanced the rank of seaman first class on the USS Arizona. So that was, um, so he transferred that ship the same year that uh, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor happened in December, 1941. And he perished in that attack by the Japanese. So he was officially listed missing in action by the U.S. Navy and later declared dead while missing, and his remains were never recovered. And in the newspapers um, in Arizona, it said he was believed to be the state of Arizona's first World War II casualty. So he was awarded the Purple Heart, and he was survived by his parents, Richard and Mary Murphy, and his sister Marie. But what I really thought was interesting about this story, um, you know, being— an immigrant from England, he. I, I was really impressed by his mother. So, in August 1943, uh, James Murphy's mother, Mary Murphy, was honored for her son's sacrifice by being selected as the sponsor of the Navy frigate USS Bisbee. So Bisbee, named after their hometown. So they were. Um, so she in September. F- 1943. She dashed a bottle against its bow as it was launched in Wilmington, California. And on that occasion, she was quoted as saying, well, the death of our son was a tragic loss. I am glad that he gave his life for such a grand country. So I was really impressed with that sentiment, especially coming from another country that they viewed his sacrifice as, as meaningful and just their testimony of what an amazing country the United States was and what it stood for in this fight for for freedom so that was very uh significant to me
1: it's um, you hear a lot of these stories actually I've, I've heard several stories of where there are immigrants and they're coming from Europe so they've already experienced World War One. some of these immigrants you know like And so then they come and they're hoping to build their family and their future, a new life. And then, you know, they lose their sons. And it's always like, it strikes me so intense about what kind of caliber were the, were these people who were willing to leave everything they knew come to a completely new place. And then, you know, and they, like, they, they weren't, they didn't hold these horrible grudges like, or like resentment, And it it just, it just interests, it really intrigues me because it's like these people who do all these really hard things and they just, they just have a lot of optimism and a lot of hope and a lot of gratitude. It's really teaches a lot to me about like, maybe I should complain about having to, you know, live in the time where I do now and just be like grateful and, and learn from these, these, you know, fallen, the parents of the fallen.
0: Absolutely. I think they, there is a lot to be learned from that and and as we're writing or those who are later going to read this story these stories I hope they have that same thought as well there was definitely a lot of sacrifice but um but not bitterness I think they saw the big picture and the contribution that their son's sacrifice made to maintaining the freedoms that we enjoy today
1: yeah I 100% agree with that that's
0: so do you have, have another story? I do. I have um, one of the people that I was assigned to write a little more on was a musician that was in the band on the USS Arizona. He was from Utah, my home state, and his name was Charles William White. And he, his father was actually born in England as well, but his uh, mother was from Utah and they met here. But one thing that I found interesting about him is his father worked for the Denver and Rio Grande Western railroad as a pipe fitter and a mechanic. But uh, I found this amazing picture of the uh, railroads association band and his father is holding a drum. He was a drummer in the band and later his son, Charles White uh, was a drummer for the USS Arizona in the band. So it was fun to see him follow uh, musically in the feet of his father. Wait, so, so just
1: a- so ships had bands. I just ships like had bands. Wow. Why? I mean, maybe it doesn't make I sense. I think they were p-
0: playing revelry. I think they were playing, um, you know, they musically use, uh, they'd use music to signal different things. As my understanding, I ha- I didn't do a lot of research into the band, but there were 21 band members on the USS Arizona. And so th- it was interesting to read and write about him. So he Most of the people I've written about uh, were in 19, 20, 21 years old when they were in World War II. So most of them were young and single, but Charles White was interesting because he, although he was young, he had two years of uh, college before he was drafted. He went to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah for two years and he majored in music, symphony orchestra and concert band. And specifically, he played the timpani, which is a percussion instrument in the BYU symphony and band. And there's some great pictures of him uh, in the yearbook from Brigham Young University from the years he was there. And then rather than being a single man, he actually married before he entered the Navy in 1939. He married a fellow student, Mary Merlene Richens in Provo, Utah, and she she was studying psychology at Brigham Young University and was from Idaho. So anyway, he was young and married. And uh, around 1940, Charles' wife, Marlene, gave birth to their daughter, Karen White, So who has, has since passed away in 2014. But he was not only married but had a young child when he was drafted into the Navy. So he was different in that way. So he was drafted at age 20 into the Navy, uh, about a month shy of being 21, in March of 1941. And he went to Washington, D.C. to enter the U.S. Navy School of Music. Another thing I didn't know, had you ever heard of? Navy having a music school? Well, they did. And he entered as an apprentice seaman and graduated from the school with his unit in May 1941. So the 21 members of the USS Arizona all went to that music school, is my understanding and my reading. And they graduated together and they were put together um, on their specific ship because each of them play a specific instrument. So they, you know, you need a certain uh, combination of instruments for each band, for each ship. So they sailed from Virginia through Guantanamo Bay and then on to Hawaii. And Charles White was received on board the USS Arizona on the 17th of June, 1941. And he became a seaman second class and then had a change of rating to musician second class um, in November of 1941. And so he was stationed um, on the USS Arizona during the attack. So what was interesting that I learned about uh, bands on the ships? There was actually at Pearl Harbor, starting in September of 1941, there was the Battle of Music Band Competition. And so what I learned about this, um, it began at the Pearl Harbor, Harbor Naval Station Block Arena, and four bands from different ships that were stationed at Pearl Harbor, or from capital, uh, or from shore installations like uh, the Marines would compete in basically a battle of the bands. And so I think others would come to this. There's actually a picture of them competing at this, the USS Arizona Band. And they actually, the USS Arizona Band was one of the best ones. They won the first round at that competition. And this would happen every two or four weeks. Uh, These competitions would continue until... Um, It was postponed after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But what I learned about the band, so what do do the band members do when they're under attack, right? (laughs) So according to the U.S. Navy, the band members, they have a battle station. They were stationed below deck and the band members of the USS Arizona were passing ammunition to the Arizona's gunners during the attack. So when the big bomb that really um, ripped through the Arizona hit, they were right there where the ammunition was. So um, unfortunately, Charles White was, and every member of the band were were killed that day and their remains were never recovered. So, but um, I went with my family to visit Hawaii during the Christmas break. And in the museum there at Pearl Harbor, there is a trophy from this battle of the, I call it Battle of the Bands, it's called the Battle of Music. But it is in the museum there at Pearl Harbor and it lists the names of each of the band members of the USS Arizona. And after Pearl Harbor, they um, renamed renamed this uh, trophy or the competition in honor of the USS Arizona men. So they called it the Arizona Trophy. So it was kind of interesting to hear Um, a little bit about that and see that little piece of history, that trophy and look on that and see that, you know, my guy, you know, the guy I got to read about was listed on there as one of the 21 members of the USS band. And so he uh, unfortunately left his, uh, a wife and a child um, after his death to, uh, as survivors and also his parents and, some siblings, so definitely a great sacrifice there. But it was an wow, interesting what a story. cool
1: story! Yeah, when I, when you're reading and when you're telling me the story, like everyone's heard about the USS Arizona. I mean, not everyone, but if you know World War II at all and you know Pearl Harbor, like you know, it's it's yeah. You, know, you say USS Arizona, and a lot of people will know what you're talking about. But like right. now, when I think about it. And I think about, you know, it, the ammunition was hit and that was caused to blow up in that huge hole. Like, I'm not going to think about like USS Arizona. I, I'm thinking about the USS Arizona band. And there was 21 band members who really were in the service, but they were trying to like follow their true passion, which was music. To me, it makes history no longer this, like an event with this ship and like event, like it's people interacting and it's people sacrificing, people making choices, people experiencing it. And it's so much more powerful. I mean, like when I teach my kids about the USS Arizona, I'm even just like talk to them about like, oh, here's a ship and it got blown up. It's like, here are these people and they're they they were really good at playing music. Like, they were really good musicians and they loved it and they went to school for it and they were really really good at it and it was it ran in their family and and then you know they were they they gave their lives on this ship for us. You know, it just I don't know what if I I kind of a loss for words, but it really hits really close to the heart about what really was sacrificed there and what really history can mean, you know, what really it can teach us. And and then also like, how cool was it for you to like walk in and everyone if I went to that museum before knowing this story, i just think, like, oh that's kind of a cool trophy. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just a trophy. But to you, it probably meant so much more than just a trophy, right? I mean
0: Absolutely. Because I, I knew the names of the the men who were in that band. I had seen pictures of their faces. I knew, uh, you know, Charles White's background. He was a father of a young daughter and, and a son. And he lived in the same state that I did. He lived in the same area my husband grew up in. And so it becomes it becomes personal when you start looking into these people's backgrounds, which which is why I think this is a really fantastic project. So I had actually been to Pearl Harbor maybe uh, eight or nine years before, also with my husband and my children and had walked through that museum. And, and I don't think I had noticed particularly that trophy. And on the second trip going back um, after I had written for these seven sailors, we weren't able to go out to the USS uh, Arizona to, to the memorial. It, it was closed for the whole month. They were repairing something on, on a dock. But the first time I had been out there, I just remember it being very somber and not knowing really anyone who had who had died in it, but just, you know, the white rock and all these names and how many people there were. And it was definitely powerful and sad. But going back and knowing some personal stories about these sailors uh, was made... It's such a different experience this time around and more meaningful to me. So since we weren't able to go out to the Arizona, we did go to, in Honolulu, to the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific known as the Punchbowl. And all seven of these men, because they were missing or lost at sea, are there, their names are written in the um, Courts of the Missing at that uh, monument, at the punch bowl. And so after we had been to Pearl Harbor all day, we went and it was raining a little bit and getting a little late, but uh, but I asked my, my younger two kids, I have, who are teenagers, I said, do you want to help me find these men that I did stories on? So they went and we we're run- looking through this and we found each of the seven of them and took pictures with them. And I told them some of the stories about them, like, oh, this one's from from Utah, and he was in the band, and this happened, and you know, this one was the ship's cook, you know, and he was from uh, from Arkansas, and, and just little bits and tidbits from these different stories, so um, it was great to be able to share that with them, and uh, have those ma- names mean something, and so I'm really excited about this project, that uh, more people have that experience of, of not just having a name, but having a story, and, and maybe feeling a little more deeply about these people and the sacrifice that was made for us to have the freedoms that we enjoy today. There was one other story I'll share with you just really quickly. I was also assigned um, a pair of brothers that were, that perished on the USS Arizona, Um, Wayne and Raymond Livers, who were from New Mexico. And Uh, It was interesting. They're about two years apart. And one of them, Wayne was really a strong athletic young man. He played center on his high school basketball team and he competed in football on the offensive line. And then his uh, older brother, Raymond Livers, he, I found a little information on him. He competed in the New Mexico state fair, the, uh, the year that he graduated and he raised Durek Jersey pigs and won the top prize for a yearling boar and a champion boar. So you get a little color um, with with these stories as as, um, you look into and research them, but they were both drafted uh, the same year. Raymond was drafted in October of 1940, the older brother and the younger brother Wayne was drafted in June of 1940. And one of them became, over time, a seaman first class. And uh, it was Wayne who became a fireman first class and did some extra training at the Machinist Mates School in Virginia. And uh, eventually, they both ended up on the same ship, the USS Arizona. So, um, let's see. I think Raymond was there first, and he had served on the USS Arizona since December 1940. And then his brother, Wayne... um, was received on board in March of 1941. And so they were both there together the day of that attack. And so um, unfortunately both perished in that attack and their parents received the news on December 23rd that their sons were missing in an undisclosed action in the performance of their duties. So they didn't find out for a little while later that they had actually um, perished in that. But for a family to... Uh, it's a it's such a sacrifice to lose one family member, but to lose their two sons in that attack was really really sad to me as a mother. I have um, two children that are about that age; they're in their early twenties, and it's just heartbreaking to think of of losing a child as far away from home. And um, anyway, it's just powerful to me to think about these as people and not just as names on a on a wall or. On a gravestone, but their stories are powerful, and I think that we can learn a lot from them if we uh, take time to to read about them and look into this.
1: Yeah, I love that you share that you know that story because I think I mean they changed the policy so that brothers after the Sullivan brothers obviously couldn't be on the same ship, but you know, but then there's also that like come you know I could see why brothers would want to be on the same ship. You know, it's not easy to be in the military and to have that, you know, brotherly bond, I think they probably enjoyed that and, you know, liked being with each other. But then you know, at the same time as, you know, it's like that poor mom, I mean, she knows they're both on the same ship. So if anything happens then you know, they're both pr- most likely gone. And I just feel like the women of World War II, especially the mothers of World War II are that, they really, that generation was just phenomenal. They lived through the the Great Depression as parents you know, mm-hmm. like, I look at my great grandfather. He spent about um, probably like four months with us before he died. He, he actually died in our home. And so I was like six, you know, I was teeny. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But I just remember him being like, I don't know, maybe it was just him, but he was just the funnest, sweetest, nicest old man in the world. And and I, I can't like looking back, like he had a picture of my my uncle on his bedside And he, my uncle was, who was killed in World War II. And so, you know, and he talked to me a a lot about him and like, and stuff like that. But I don't think I really truly understood what his life was like, you know, like at all at seven, you know, and like looking back and and, and being part of this project and being part of the project and like, oh my gosh, that was my great grandfather's generation. Like probably a lot of his friends were going through the same grief that he went through his whole life, you know? And we just, you just don't think about that part of history when you think about history at all, you know, it's just, it's just not something. And so that's what, one of the things that I just love about this, this project is that we're highlighting the women's and the parents struggle as well. As I've been going through and I've been hearing all these stories and interviewing researchers and and hearing things like I've been writing down how hearing these stories has really fortified me in what I'm struggling with in life and, Um, it's just, it brings perspective. It brings, it brings encouragement. And it also brings like, I don't know, peace in some way. I know that kind of sounds weird, but like, I feel like as we honor these, the are fallen, there's like peace that comes in, in having their story told.
0: Absolutely. I think, I think it's a great way to honor their sacrifice. And like you say, I think rather than, um, I love, I love the monuments and the memorials that have been put up to these soldiers and these sailors but knowing the person behind that name and what they've gone through and the sacrifice they made and that their families made and losing them and there's a lot of lessons I agree that we can learn from that and that's one of the reasons I like family history work I think there's so much to learn from people's lives but that needs to be told in stories and that needs to be accessible for us to benefit from it but uh It can certainly strengthen us to see other people go through trials and struggles and survive, um, you know, the sacrifice of their their children in war. I I certainly think it can put our own problems in perspective and give us strength to do what we need to to get through the challenges in, in our own lives. So I think it's a wonderful project and it's been deeply meaningful to me as I've researched and learned about Uh, each of these, each of these young men. To be honest, uh, like you with your, um, with your great grandpa and your uncle, when I was younger, I certainly knew about Pearl Harbor, but not, not a lot of the details. And whenever there would be an anniversary and on the news, they'd interview Pearl Harbor survivors. They were always elderly men, right? With their hats on, with their, you know, USS Arizona or whatever ship they were on. And so as a kid, I always had this picture of, them as elderly men but in doing this project and I guess I hadn't thought about it as much these were really really young men they were just out of high school most of them and they were just at the beginning of their adult lives and have so much potential in front of them and and it was just interesting as I've researched them and their lives and looked at their pictures how young they were how much they had ahead of them and how willing they were to do their duty to go serve their country and to protect their the freedoms that we have now and to uh, um, fight back against uh, you know those countries that Japan and uh, Germany and the Axis powers that were taking over a huge swaths of the world so the fact that they were willing to stand up and do that was amazing um, Actually, one of the people that I wrote about before um, I started the Pearl Harbor Project, he enlisted just a few days or weeks after Pearl Harbor. He was motivated by that to to volunteer. His name was Rule Catterton. He was from Arizona, and he was the only child of his parents. And he he wanted to serve his country. He wanted to protect um, his family, his freedoms. And he he volunteered and he served, and he died in 1943 in an aerial bombing on the island of Vanuatu. And there were a lot of articles about his mother after that as a gold star mother, and she volunteered to help uh, the military in her area and to help those who had been wounded, and just said that she knew, her son knew it was a possibility that he might not come back from the war but he thought that this was so important that this is what he wanted to do with his life and she supported him in that so it is powerful to hear what happens uh, to the families after and how supportive they are of of this sacrifice and, and their son's service
1: wow that's that's a cool story to to see like that was like gut-wrenching when it's like your only child you know so after that being you know, like you know there's no posterity so he doesn't have nieces or nephews no. that are gonna remember him you know I guess if he had a cousin and the cousin had kids so I guess I'd be like second cousin once removed or and that's really the only people related to him that might be still alive that's that's gut-wrenching right, so one question
0: if, yeah go go ahead. Ahead. I was just gonna say so if if we don't tell his story who really will right so I I think it's a way of honoring some of these people, especially those who don't have posterity or or siblings.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I tell my uncle's story to my children. My grandmother had eleven children, you know, so mm-hmm. like, so she had. You know, he has quite a lot of posterity, or you know, relatives that remember him. But you know, not everybody had had that. You know, and so I think it's that's one of the I really like about highlighting these stories is you are finding people who probably. Would be just completely forgotten, you know. And um, so I, I really love that. One question I really love to ask is um if you could give um talk to anybody who's thinking about volunteering, what piece of advice would you give them?
0: I would say that you can do this, you can write stories, you don't have to be an expert. I think um you know, certainly with this project, there's people to help you and give you the tools that you need and some direction. But, uh, I just think this is a really meaningful project. I think giving remembrance to these people, to these soldiers who died, I think it's been, it's changed my perspective and, um, in a good way. I I just think more about, um, what went into making the freedoms that I enjoy today possible. And I, I just think it's, it's a powerful, uh, way to understand, uh, the war and what happened and what families sacrificed to make this great country that we live in still on the face of the earth today, you know, and to have the freedoms we have. So I would say you can do this. You can write um, there's other ways to help out with this project. I've really enjoyed it. I thought I would probably do a few of them and, um, I've signed up for the next project. I'm writing for Arlington National Cemetery project now. I just finished my first one with that today. So I, it's been really powerful and moving for me and I plan on continuing to write. So I would recommend this to anyone who's thinking about it. Maybe this is the first time you've heard about it. Uh, it took me a couple times hearing about this project to get involved but it's absolutely been, um, powerful and worthwhile.
1: Yeah. Especially if you're jumping onto Arlington, it's your first time, like, and this, this, there are going to be some great stories there to uncover because obviously they did something to get buried, you know, at the national cemetery. Right. So there's definitely going to be some interesting life stories to, to jump into at Arlington and, and see, you know, who these people were that are buried there. And that's, that's one thing that one of the things you said earlier, how you know beautiful these monuments are. I mean, if you've ever been to Arlington, it's beautiful. It's it's absolutely gorgeous, you know. But um, I look at all the millions of dollars we put in the monuments and I think they're important and they're necessary, but I'm like, what if we just spent millions of hours, because <laughs> that's probably what's gonna take, into a virtual monument that would be forever and you know, instead of just looking at names on granite, we could be looking at faces and we could be looking at stories and we could be looking at, you know, and all these different, you know, amazing technological ways to view history. Anyway, so that's what I really love about this is that these are forever, ever going to be memorialized. So, you know, it, it's like creating something that we can give to our grandchildren, just like they gave freedom to us, right? So
0: it's exciting. Absolutely. And we it's really exciting. appreciate
1: the work that you've done and the work you're continuing to do and all of our volunteers just are phenomenal. So thank you so much for taking your time today to be with me. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If this project at all interests you, check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. And also do us a huge favor, share this podcast with those you know and Uh, like or subscribe to it and write us a review Um, tell me all the things i'm doing wrong i could do better and honestly i say that with a genuine heart i want to make these more desirable to listen to so whatever feedback you have would be greatly appreciated and um, go check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org and um, if you're interested in being on the podcast contact us through contact at (music) storiesbehindthestars.org